Social media in the last few years have been full of conversations regarding deconstruction. Many people are talking about it from many different angles. Conversations about deconstruction seem to be ubiquitous. There are so many articles, so many media links, and so many sermon series dedicated to critiquing existing theological traditions, church platforms, or Christian public figures. It's not a new word or idea by any means, but it sure feels like deconstruction is the new trendy word in Christian circles today. You have certain people who like things the way they are and who see deconstruction as either threatening or others with demo tools in hands. They see it as a modern reformation. The discussion among Christians about deconstruction has often turned salty and contentious, especially online. Believers gaslighting and accusing one another of ignorance and the worst possible motives. Deconstruction isn't just something that's being played out both in our pews and in the world itself. No, deconstruction is something that happened within the pages of Scripture, as well in the lives of Jacob, Elijah, John the Baptist, and others. Although we've gotten pretty good at deconstructing our faith and our belief system, building it back up is a whole other story. In this episode of Keep 100, we will explore the roots of this tenditious subject, hit upon two types of deconstruction, and distinguish between the positive and the negative. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Keep It 100 with Sean and Krista Smith. What up, what up fam? Come on, we are excited for the topic we are talking about today, which is deconstruction or demolition part one. But before we dive into this really critical conversation, we have been having amazing times at some stops we've been at the last couple of weeks and we've been seeing God move beautifully. The first one was at Jubilee Christian Center in Boston, Massachusetts. That's right, you heard me, Boston. Woo, did we see God move at Jubilee. It was amazing. We were part of the Code Blue Revival Conference, a youth and young adult conference, and we were with the hungry. I mean, come on, let's talk about it. It was an incredible response. And they just have a reach to a demographic that is really calling in revivalists and reformers of the younger generation. I love it. There were so many young adults that just went after God from the first song. They were in it to win it. They gave themselves to God. We saw signs and wonders. We saw healings, prophetic ministry. Uh, It was deliverance. I mean, it was power. It was. We just saw really sweet prophetic ministry that felt really significant for people. And just the power of God and the presence of the Lord that the worship team ushered us into. I mean, they are an anointed worship team, one anointed group, even creatively. uh, Just the way they express themselves creatively is really anointed and incredible. And they're led and they're led by the incredible Roberson and Mima Pierre. And they're just powerful leaders that are really taking the charge of a generation just continue for revival. So to partner with them, it was such a privilege. They were so annoying. Even their their dancers almost grabbed me a flag and jump on the stage myself. <laughs> I mean, really, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, and then from there, I went to Grace Assembly in Bakersfield. Um, it was awesome. I flew back just a tad early, and then I did a little road trip with a dear friend of mine, and we went to Bakersfield, and we saw God move. We had a women's conference on Friday night. We had an all-church service Saturday night, Sunday morning. And what God did in those three services together was truly profound. I mean, I felt like the house shifted. I felt like the house shifted into the next... Uh, place the Lord has for them. They are led by amazing pastors, Eddie and Janae Summers. Just love their heart, love their heart for their city, love their heart for the Lord and for their people. And so just to connect with them, laugh with them. We laughed a ton, uh, went after God. It was really, it was a really great week and I was super honored to partner with them. And then of course, last Sunday, it was great to be yeah. in New Life Community in Sacramento. So we're in Northern California, about an hour and a half drive from us. It was great to be with Mark and Kathy Tuckers and their other incredible leadership team. Powerful time Sunday morning. God just moved. Man, we are 
are blessed. And let me just tell you, folks, it is truly a new era. God is doing something. So I just say, hey, even on Sunday morning, believe for God just to bring his presence, his power and impact lives wherever you're at. All right. And drum roll, please. Our big announcement. Many of you have heard about it already, but we have a prophetic masterclass coming up September 16th and 17th. This is an in-person gathering here in the Bay Area. We're going to be meeting in Dublin, California. All the information's on our website, shawnachrisasmith.com. Friends, we are only three weeks out. That's it. Three weeks out. So if you've not registered, you've not bought your ticket, you haven't booked your flight, you don't have your hotel room scheduled. If you live in the Bay, get registered, join us. It's going to be a powerful time. And here's why I just want to take a moment and just really reiterate the purpose and the vision behind why we're doing this. You know, we're in a time where we've just come out of, I feel like a purging and a cleansing of the prophetic ministry and what's being reconstructed. And we're going to be talking about deconstruction or reconstruction. What's been reconstructed in the prophetic ministry, I believe is a plumb line to what the voice of God saying, what the spirit of God is releasing. And we really want to train people up in a healthy, credible prophetic ministry that is based on truth. It's based on the word of God. It's based on what the spirit of God is saying. We want to remove the self and the agenda out of the prophetic ministry. And we really want the purity to be brought back to the prophetic ministry as a whole. We really believe in its value in the local church. If you are passionate about the prophetic ministry or you're simply just interested and want to learn more, it is literally for wherever you're at in your prophetic journey. It's going to be myself and Sean and Julian Adams from Boston, Massachusetts, but he's originally from South Africa. He's a true prophet. And we are so excited because the caliber of teaching that we're going to bring is a masterclass level. We're not bringing some simple, you've heard it before. Um, Yes, it will probably confirm some things you've heard if you've been trained in the prophetic, but we are believing we're going to bring some fresh new content that's really going to activate and empower you to go to the next level in your prophetic ministry, wherever that is in your journey. And so join us, Sean, anything you want to add for that? Hey, I would just say too, there are many of you out there that you just want to go to another level in hearing the voice of God. There are those of you that you want your faith to be contagious. So you would love to get words of knowledge, run, save employers, family members, people around you. There are others that simply you want to have your voice elevated to the point where you see your voice making a difference and helping your friends and just having the mind, the wisdom and the prophetic inside of the Lord. This is the spot for you. You don't want to miss it. I was also, when we're in Boston, it was so great because Julian Adams, who will be the third speaker along with Chris and I, we got a chance to hang. He came out in our service and he was prophesying over people then. The guy's a phenomenal teacher, the best that I've been around, particularly in words of knowledge. So you need to come out and be there with us. And we're going to also have uh, the first night, we got a surprise for you after we yes. stop the service. We're going to go into an afterglow, Holy Ghost after party of laying hands on everything that moves and just having a Holy Ghost fire tunnel, whatever. I don't know, but you just want to be there. So September 16th and 17th, join us. Yeah. Check out SeanChrisSmith.com. Register today. And if you have any questions, reach out to our office. We want to get you there because we believe it's going to be a powerful time. All right. Now let's dive in this week. Hey, Keep It 100. I'm excited about this episode. And I have to admit, even at the out front of this, I need to tell you, this subject that we're going to have a conversation on is surrounded somewhat in controversy, but it's a topic that has such far-reaching ramification, we had to jump into it. It is the subject of deconstruction. Now, I'm sure many of you that are listening to this, no matter where you're at in the nations of the world, we have 84 different nations that listen in. Uh, You've run into some people that are deconstructing their faith, and it's become uh, really much more of a movement than I think many people initially anticipated. And what we're seeing is that there's an increasing number of young people deconstructing their faith and leaving the church, some even their faith, as well as older progressive types writing books and blogs about it. One of the reasons, as I've talked to young people, both inside and outside of the church that are being moved towards deconstruction, is their frustration and disillusion 
disillusionment with the current state of the church. And some of their frustrations and accusations are misguided and they need to be corrected. Can somebody say discipleship? However, some of their concerns they raise needs to be honestly addressed and a space needs to be given so that will be heard. You know, let's really begin at the beginning by defining what is deconstruction. So let me just explain to you the basis and the definition of deconstruction. In short, faith deconstruction is a systematic pulling apart of one's belief system for examination. So according to one writer, deconstruction is the process of systematically dissecting and often rejecting the beliefs you grew up with. And sometimes the Christians will deconstruct all the way to atheism. Some remain there, but others experience a reconstruction. But the type of faith they end up embracing almost never resembles the Christianity they formerly knew. So deconstruction for Christians, that can mean a wide variety of questions ranging from theological to the practical. It can also mean the questioning of the inerrancy of the Bible, the culture, the traditions of their church, and in some instances, the toxicity of their structure. Faith deconstruction can begin at many points for many different reasons. And deconstruction can occur when our lived experiences do not match up with what we've been taught. So there's this chasm, there's this contradiction. Remember, we always talk about what do you do in the contradiction? This is when our perspectives start to shift or when we encounter trauma within our faith experience. These things can cause theological tensions. So the goal of deconstruction is to eliminate things that are false or inauthentic, to drill down to the root, to find out what's actually true. But you cannot deconstruct an unconstructed faith. I'm going to say that again because I really want somebody to catch this. You cannot deconstruct an unconstructed faith, just like you cannot give away something you don't have. I love that because if you don't have a foundation to begin with and you begin this doubting and questioning of everything, you never get to the point where you have something solid to stand on. So I love that point. It's so awesome. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, we're about to go into the Hundo P segment where you guys present questions. We do our best to give you some answers. So question number one, where did deconstruction come from? That's a great question because we know it's a principle, roots determine the fruit. Say that again for the people in the back. Roots determine the fruit. Uh, In the 1960s, a French philosopher named Jacques Derrida, he passed away in 2004, he began to advocate for postmodern philosophy of language and its relationship to our conceptions of meaning that he calls deconstruction. I'll break this down. Therefore, deconstruction asserts that human language at best communicates how a certain individual conceives of truth at a certain point in time, but not absolute truth. It's simply a reflection of the context of their cultural, political, religious, environmental, and experience influences. So you have to understand that deconstruction arose out of the world of textual criticism. Now, just something on the life of Jock Derrida, you have to understand something. When I said roots determine fruit, the man wasn't a spirit-filled Christian by any means, of course, was never a Christian. He was a philosopher. He said he wanted to have religion without religion, which basically tells me that he was kind of veering towards naturalism, secularism, atheism. And so you have to understand the roots of deconstruction come from a guy who's not a believer. He's not led by the Spirit. And we know that that which the Spirit produces, produces life. So you got to understand the root of deconstruction. Now, that's how deconstruction started. But the concept has kind of morphed into many different ways. Some of them can be helpful. Some of them can be hurtful. For instance, in some ways, we deconstruct a passage of Scripture when we seek to understand its original grammar, its cultural and historical context, therefore its original meaning and intent. But some people have definitely got it twisted. 
against it. It's really true. And when deconstruction's done in subjection to the authority of scripture, faith in God's wisdom, humble teachability, and a preference to God's good and objective truth over our ever-shifting subjective ideals, the concept of deconstruction can actually be helpful. But here's the problem. And here's what we really need Come to on, understand. Break it down. What has happened is modern deconstruction, what we're currently seeing in today's culture, has sold the telescope it once used for observing the intricate craftsmanship of God's word to buy a sledgehammer. So I want you to understand this. What was intended to be a telescope, that means like, you know, look at it really purposely, really intentionally, very intricately. When you're trading your telescope to a sledgehammer, you're shifting into demolition. Mm -hmm. And to buy a sledgehammer, which is purpose to obliterate the pillars of God's truth, here's where it gets begins unhealthy. One author says, and though it is not presented as such, it is presented as the distractingly shiny, impressive, expensive crane, which the wrecking ball hangs from. So deconstruction looks like this trendy, cool idea and something that your friends are doing, everyone your age is doing. But if it's not done with the intentionality of reconstruction in your heart and mind and motive of the deconstruction process, what you're going to end up with is a level four, level five tornado. And all you're going to have is massive debris everywhere with nothing solid to stand on. Question two. Is all deconstruction bad? So I love this question because it kind of is a part two to what I was just saying. There's deconstruction and then there's demolition. Ooh. And I think those two, we really have to understand the difference between those two. One, one can be helpful and one is nothing but destruction. So let's imagine this. A man armed with a sledgehammer, a crowbar, and a team of people with similar tools enter a wealthy neighborhood. I just want to paint an illustration. Million dollar homes are there with perfectly manicured lawns, solar panels, all the things, all the top furnishings. They've had all the interior designers. And these people with these tools come and they kick down the doors of these million dollar homes and they start knocking down walls. By the end of the day, there's very little standing of the houses they've entered. Was this a good thing or was this a bad thing? Well, the answer depends on the condition of the home. So let, let's let's break this down. If these homes were in pristine condition and the demo team did not have permission, then of course, this is an act of vandalism. But if they're a disaster relief crew coming into a mud house, you know, all the debris after like a tornado, a hurricane, a tsunami, whatever it may be, their deconstruction was actually a good thing. They're taking out everything that was rotten, everything that would cause mold, everything that would get you sick That's so, good. so that you can rebuild what could potentially be a great home for your future. But the question though is who gets to decide what remains? So mm. apply this to the current modern day deconstruction process. Do we use the Bible? So that's a question. And if so, whose interpretation of the Bible? Do we use the history of the church to help us decide which walls to knock down, which ones stay up, which ones get demoed? And you know, Boo, I would say this. If after you've torn everything down, are you left with more of Jesus or less? Does this thing look more like Jesus of the Gospels, not Jesus of modern culture interpretation, not Jesus that's trending on Twitter and what the masses say, but does this look like the Jesus of the Gospels? Do you love others more deeply? Do you see Christ is more precious? I think these things are more important. You know, I really agree with what you're saying. It's it's very true. So I just want to quickly highlight the healthy deconstruction versus the dangerous deconstruction. So it gives us all greater clarity regarding this often misrepresented and undefined topic. Mm. So if we're really defining dangerous deconstruction, dangerous de deconstruction, when left unchecked by scripture and Jesus, it leads us to disregard historical Christian truths, truths that have really been the core of the foundation, the fundamental basis for Christian faith for the past 2000 plus years. This process can begin from many things, whether it's experiencing church abuse, maybe it's a friend who's come out as gay, maybe it's an overwhelming sense of injustice they see in our culture towards people of color. These beginning places, if left unchecked, lead to a growing spirit of distrust 
addressed towards the church as a whole. Then they start to question scripture and then the orthodoxy of truth. You know, I would throw in what's happening is their doubt, which in some instances can be legitimate. Absolutely. Is being wrestled with alone. That's the mistake. Yes. They aren't seeking the wisdom of other brothers and sisters in the faith. They aren't doing the hard work of research on various topics. They're letting other people's tweets and other people's posts and blogs kind of disseminate and interpret things for them. They don't dig into the truth of God's word and allow it to transform their hearts. And that wrestling alone will always lead to a demolition of faith. It's really That's really well said, because I think if you continue in that process where you're not doing the hard work, you're not willing to be researched and educated, if you're not willing to have the hard conversations and engage with people that might think different, but cause a healthy challenge, all of this usually culminates in a disregard or then a rejection of Christianity altogether. So they throw out everything because they're offended about the church isn't doing this, the church isn't doing that, but the church isn't perfect. And I'm not bringing justification, nor am I making an excuse for the church. The church has flaws and the church has areas of growth, but we are called to be a part of the local church and love the church and love the bride like Jesus loved the bride, right? And so if we go down that path, it leads to a version of Christianity that actually isn't biblical. It's not historically accurate. It's not the foundation, but one that embraces all that it believes it should. It's also called total deconstruction. So Mm. I want to just break down what's deconstruction and total deconstruction. Uh, Total deconstruction, this kind of deconstruction is essentially the same as deconversion and ends up undermining, denying core doctrines of historical Christianity. Even if a person insists on calling themselves a Christian, they effectively have really left the faith. And that's tragic right there. And we're seeing that, we're eyeing that. And the bottom line is the enemy wins. That's what he's after. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophies of this world. And that philosopher uh, that came out with this Jacques Derrida and and the way the enemy wants to piggyback that, he wants to take that in a bad direction. But on the flip side, the second type of deconstruction is that there is a healthy deconstruction. I know I'm going to take some uh, some hits for this. People are probably going to no, push back good, on it. Yeah. But yeah, we, it needs to be said. And this is keeping 100. So as I've mentioned earlier, there's a healthy kind of deconstruction because bottom line, all of us deal with doubts that can lead us to a more firm and rich faith. Mm-hmm. And I might submit to you that you don't realize that we all have been in deconstruction. Let me explain. Hebrews 12 phrase says, yet once more, speaking of Lord, yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is that they have been made in order that things that cannot be shaken may may remain. I feel like right now we're in a shaking and in the midst of the shaking, it's a stripping down of maybe men's traditions, things we've done that God's presences have been on, programs that weren't birthed in the prayer room. And God is deconstructing kind of the religious constructs we've added to true, pure Christianity in order that we could get to that which is unshakable. So we're actually in a season of deconstruction. Jeremiah says his anointing was to pluck down and destroy before he build and plant it. And so the truth is this kind of deconstruction begins with the same kind of doubt sometimes, like we mentioned earlier, a Christian mentioned church hurt, injustice, etc. But it's a reforming deconstruction. Come on, where are all my reformers at? We need mm-hmm. you. This is the kind of deconstruction that affirms Christianity, historic Christians' beliefs, but it also acknowledges that there are still real and serious issues that the church needs to address. In other words, the church still has more reforming to do. I don't believe that the Reformation movement of Martin Luther is over. Uh, I believe we're still in a modern Reformation because we we have got to get this thing to look like Jesus intended his bride to look. But what's different is that the person doesn't run from Jesus and community when wrestling, but runs towards them. This person does the hard work of study and have hard conversations. This person spends time 
time reading scriptures to meet with the real Jesus. And what ends up happening for that person is instead of rejecting the core truths of Christian faith, they simply reject or unhinge themselves from various unbiblical cultural expressions of Christian faith while holding firm to the historic Christian truth. The bottom line is a Christian identity or belief built on something other than the gospel will always erode and crack under pressure. You've got to make sure your foundation is built properly. Ooh, that is so good. Third question is, why are people deconstructing? Great question. And we have to really understand faith formation is not always linear. For some deconstruction, it really happens in cycles. Periods of questioning and doubt are followed by renewal and confirmation. However, for too many people, deconstruction appears to be the end of their faith journey. You know, they take apart the engine. Let's just paint another illustration. They take the engine apart, scattering the pieces around their garage. They leave them there and they believe, believing there's no way they can reassemble it or get it running again. And maybe they lack the will to re-engage their faith with a different set of assumptions or it could just be the task just feels too overwhelming. The other most prevalent reason is that they lose their way is a crisis life event that upends their faith system. Yep. And continuing to be a person of faith means coming to terms with trauma, which is a really hard place for people to reconcile because it's like, how could something bad happen when our God is good? That is like the deep core struggle of everyone's faith. At some point in time, you're going to walk into that struggle and very much in the same way that Jesus struggled, if you will, in the garden. I wouldn't struggle as we would say a carnal struggle, but he said, Lord, may this cup pass from me. Uh, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There was this thing where he was kind of the humanity and the divinity of Jesus at that point in time came to this point where there was some was some challenges. So anyway, let me just, let us just give you guys some rapid fire points on why do people deconstruct? Number one, a low view of the Bible. Uh, one of the things I've noticed from this guy that's, that's uh, noted as kind of the founder of deconstruction and many of the others is I've read some stuff and did some research on modern guys that have written books on deconstruction. The vast majority of them have a very low view of the Bible. They're kind of emphasizing personal feelings over a biblical mandate. They kind of try to reinterpret scripture and try to take away the power of it saying, well, in that day, this is really it. So today, and at the end of the day, they so strip it down, they have a low view of the Bible and they don't see the Bible as inherent. God breathed. Yes, God used people to write it, but you got to understand the Bible says that the inspiration of scripture didn't come about by the inspiration of man, but God moved upon man as they wrote the scripture. You know, that's really good. And I think another kind of consequence, or you could say ripple effect of the deconstruction process is shifting the gospel, the gospel message from sin and redemption to things like social reform, social justice, equality, and politics. You know, we've seen this, we've seen this in current culture where the gospel becomes more focused on social issues than the issue of salvation. And we really have to understand the gospel will impact social issues and it will impact our culture. That's why we believe in revival and reformation. I believe the kingdom of God is to impact culture, but the cross has must stay at the center higher than the issues. The issues can't become your focal point. The That's cross good. has to stay your focal point as a disciple and follower of Jesus. Another, I'm convinced, reason why people deconstruct is that they've taken offense at the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Let me say that again, substitutionary atonement. Uh, and that simply says that all people are sinners with sin that can only be atoned for 
for by the perfect substitute was Jesus Christ. It's interesting because I saw a lot of the uh, deconstruction movement pick up a kind of momentum after there was this monster God versus monster man debate between Dr. Michael Brown and Brian Zahn. Brian Zahn is a guy that has written a lot of books that a lot of the deconstructionists love to gravitate towards. And listen to the whole thing. Uh, I think the fact remains, and I know people will go, oh man, I like the way this person argued better than that person, or that person argued better than this person. And, and I believe those men are both sincere. But but let me just say this. If you understand scripture, you study the early church fathers, you have to come to the point that Jesus does love humanity, but he hates sin. And Jesus was the one who took upon himself the curse so that we could have the blessings of Abraham. That is in the Bible. That's in Romans. We know the example of the Passover, that although Israelites were God's people, they had to shed the blood of that animal and put that blood on the doorpost. So when that death angel came by and the Egyptians were wiped out, they looked at the blood on the doorpost and they passed over, which was a tight. We know that in the Old Testament, they would have two goats. One goat they would allow to go in the wilderness. He carried the transgressions of that family and one goat would be sacrificed. So we see that throughout God was setting forth, because the Bible, you have to understand there, there are types and there are certain principles that play into effect. And so God was showing us at the end of the day, none of us could live a life worthy of God all on our own. So Jesus had to live a life without sin on our behalf. And he did die a painful death for our sins that basically our sins deserve. We deserve it. He who knew no sin took sin on our behalf and we could experience eternal life. And by sacrificing himself on the cross, he took the punishment for all sins at once. And he made the ultimate sacrifice. Now I can go on and develop it, but I know people have taken offense. And let me just say, I recognize that we think of a merciful, fun God as a God that has no anger, that there is no wrath or judgment, but you got to read the Bible. He does have wrath and judgment, but it's aimed at sin in the same way that if a disease took someone you loved, you couldn't like that disease. You would hate that disease. You would do whatever you could to eradicate that disease because it is marring someone you love. And so this really, I believe, goes back to the point that we need to disciple some people so you can understand, no, he's a good father. He's so good that he sacrificed his son. Jesus chose that because what Jesus was ultimately saying is, I'd rather go to hell for you than to go to heaven without you. That's love, you guys. Mm, that's so good. So well said, baby. You know, another reason people deconstruct is they really are just using Jesus as a springboard to something else. And the something else could be, you know, their their intention for a peaceful life, success, acceptance among a community, a crutch for when things get hard in life. And people who expect Jesus to work for them instead of worshiping him for who he is are always going to be disappointed, right? And will eventually start shopping again for that something else that works better. And we see that again and again in people that they just come in thinking that uh, Jesus and the gospel is just a suggestion. They're not understanding that this is a relationship. This is you giving your life for the gospel. And there hasn't been that true encounter with God. And they've looked at it almost as a self-help guide versus the path of salvation over their life. And if you approach it as a self-help guide, it's going to require you to, to give up your life. And that's not going to, that's not going to be something you're going to want to do if you're in self-help mode per se. We have to understand in order to gain life, we must give our life. And there we live in an opposite kingdom. But if you're
you're into the self-help section of Bar no- Barnes and Noble and you're thinking Jesus is just a nice suggestion. It's a springboard. It's a route to get the things you want in life and to have that best life yet mo- mentality. Um, you are going to be frustrated in the church today. And that's why I think a lot of deconstruction happens is because people don't really encounter the true gospel and certainly don't encounter true Jesus. You know, I think you really hit on a point. I think people have to understand the gospel isn't just come and have a good gospel ride. Right. Although at the end of the day, we all love the destination to Absolutely. Jesus in heaven. But at the end of the day, it is pick up your cross, deny yourself. You know, we talked a little bit about that on our last podcast. If you're not gotten it, you want to go back and listen to Selfie Stick Saints. But I love what you're saying. I would also add, I think a lot of people in our generation, not even talking about a certain age group, I think people have assumed knowing a lot about God is the same as knowing God. That's so good. And I think people so literally true. make the assumption and they forget the sign of one who knows and is known by Jesus is that you do his will. That if you really know him, you're going to do his will, not your will. And if you need a scripture for that, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. You know, and one of the most obvious reasons people deconstruct is because of church hurt. And we've talked about this, but just to kind of talk about why the reasons, why do people deconstruct, just kind of staying in the school of thought, you know, according to Joshua Ryan Butler in his article, The Four Causes of Deconstruction, this was really interesting. He said, many who deconstruct have been wounded or by abusive or manipulative church leaders or generally unhealthy church leaders. Unresolved hurt will always unravel your moral foundations and connection to the Holy Spirit. And there are spiritually abusive churches and you shouldn't stay in what's harmful to your relationship with God, but also don't leave the faith community instead of, you know, not finding a healthy one to be a part of. You know, I think we have to understand, and and I'll just share a little bit of my story. I've been in super healthy churches and I've been in actually very toxic, unhealthy churches. And I think we have to understand that I learned in the healthy ones, like what it was to look like in my walk with God and, and what it looked like to really do life with Jesus and be transformed by the renewing of my mind and walk in freedom. And then I learned in unhealthy cultures what not to do. <laughs> there was still a discipleship. It wasn't the discipleship That's I good. was wanting, but there was still discipleship from the Lord. There was still a learning from the Lord. I'm like, I don't want to be that kind of leader. I'm not going to be that kind of person. I'm not going to live that kind of life. And so I learned what not to do. And that's valuable as well. And so did I leave eventually? Absolutely. Because I'm not going to stay in a toxic, unhealthy place. So if, you know, I think church leaders can hear this and I pastored for many years, Sean pastored as well before itinerating full time. We believe in the local church. We love the local church, but we are not naive enough to think that every local church is healthy and is a functioning, healthy place. And I would, I I am all about someone staying in the local church, but if it's an abusive, manipulating, controlling environment and it's causing destruction and it's causing people in a place of shame and works and it's, it's an unhealthy place, then they do need to reconsider whether to stay a part of that or not. I mean, I believe God does use us at times to change cultures, but if the culture is not accepting the change, then there's a time where you have to go, I need to move to a healthy place so I can grow and thrive in my relationship with God. So we have to understand um, church hurt, although I think the church hurt hashtag movement is not healthy because it's people connecting over their trauma and they're not looking for a solution of freedom. They're just connecting over their pain. And I think that can be dysfunctional over time. I think that we have to understand that there is at times a necessary recognition of the hurt that happens in dysfunctional churches. But if you get to a healthy faith community, you can find healing in that. Don't stay in your hurt. If you're listening today and you've been hurt by church, don't stay in your hurt. Get to a healthy place. Get to a healthy community. They 100% exist. We're a part of one. Um, There's a lot of people that are part of them. And that can actually be one of the greatest gifts in your life is a healthy faith community. I think that's so profound. And I was kind of writing down and thinking some R's. You know, there's ritualistic churches, they're raw churches. And you're going to find some messes in some churches that have certain rituals that they go by, but they could still be good churches and still going after 
God. There are like legitimate biblical church rituals. There, there are churches that are raw. You know, you're going to find some people, as Chris has said, they're going to make mistakes. And you may pray and work through. You may be part of a person that helps pray and walk with a community to get through and grow because a ritualistic church can change. A raw church will mature. But here's the other two churches that are ours is repressive churches and rogue churches. If you're in a repressive church or a rogue church, a rogue church, I would define that has become so about a person's personality. It's so about literally control, manipulation, toxic. We're going to not talk about the elephant in the room. You might need to peace out, like literally peace out. Go find another Holy Ghost church, people that you're going to find a true mom and dad and repressive uh, ones. Uh, it's a good chance. You probably won't grow there, but I, I just love everything that Chris has shared. And literally just for a moment, we're just kind of momming and dadding you and saying, don't leave the church, let alone Christianity. Now, let me say this. Many mistakenly believe that you either stay stuck in an unhealthy faith or leave Christianity altogether. So what we're saying is perhaps there are other ways to explore doubt and deconstruction without losing your faith. It's going into the word. Like I know so many of you are listening, you love to do an audible. Get, do an audible on systematic theology. That's what I'm doing right now. Uh, Wayne Gruden, uh, awesome, serious, Holy Ghost man of God, recommended. He has a systematic theology. I have done on audible. I'm listening to it. And so in times of doubt and deconstruction, go to the prayer closet, go to a place where you're getting deeper in your foundations and understand that's so important. Hey, Keep 100 Tribe, one of our favorite segments, the Keep 100 Takeaways. In this episode, we want to give you five, five criteria that will help you discern good or bad deconstruction. The first Keep 100 Takeaway this week is, are your questions leading you to remove obstacles, which lead to a greater love for Jesus? You know, your questions are going to lead you somewhere. You have to decide where that's actually going to be. The Bible describes that experience as loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so scripture is really clear that your mind has to fully love God. So, you know, your soul is your mind, your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so if your questioning doesn't lead to a greater passion and desire for Jesus, then you need to reevaluate the path you're being led down. That's so good. I love that. You got to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you want to move out of doubt and move into faith. That's just so important. Yes. The second criteria that's going to help you discern good from bad deconstruction is, do your questions lead you to a greater motivation to pursue God's purpose for your life on this earth? The Bible talks about in Acts 13, 36, that David was a man after God's own heart who served the purpose of God in his generation. 33 times in the Gospels, Jesus called people to follow me or come after me. And you got to understand that follow him wasn't like a social media follow. It meant sacrificing things. It meant laying down your life for his sake, the cause. And many times those following bad deconstruction do the opposite. They move away from God. They move away from his purpose and they begin to seek their own purposes and they feel legitimized in doing it because of whatever their doubt was. But at the end of the day, doubt will never stand as an ultimate excuse for where you place Jesus. Ultimately, you've got to choose that and that needs to be intentional. The third Keep It 100 takeaway to determine whether you're in an unhealthy or healthy deconstruction process is asking yourself the question, do your questions motivate you to become more active in God's design for his church? So the clear, the Bible clearly shows us that Jesus is washing his church with the water of his word to present the church to himself like a bride or adorned for her husband. We find this in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, Revelations 19, 6 through 9. So it's a problem if your questioning motivates you to disconnect from God's people, to become more isolated, selfish, and to pursue your own interests. Hebrews 10, 25 tells us not to forsake the assembling together, which is the gathering of the church of the saints, as is the habit of some, but do so all the more as you see that day approaching. So good construction leads to kingdom advancement, while the unhealthy leads to devastation. So 
we have to make sure we're embracing healthy deconstruction and fleeing from destructive demolition of our faith. The fourth criteria to distinguish between healthy and unhealthy deconstruction is, are you being honest about your sin issues and temptations? This is a big one, gang. Listen to it. Because it's pretty easy to begin a destruction journey by assuming things and putting our issues in the best possible light. What do you mean by that? It's especially true with regard to our own personal temptations and sin struggles. What I've seen is that there are many people that are facing temptations and sins for which they want approval. However, the Bible condemns it. So in the name of deconstruction, they begin with a forbidden conclusion, at least a conclusion that is not backed by scripture, and they work their way towards finding approval either outside the Bible or twisting scriptures to try to back the embracing of their sin. And I'm not talking in this point in time about person that actually sees that there are issues in their life and they're trying to work through it in the area of their, of their sin and they're kind of fighting against the sin. They're trying to get right with God. They're trying to embrace the love of the Lord and get out of bondages in their life. That's not what I'm talking about. What we are talking about is unhealthy self-deception, calling light darkness and darkness light. That kind of dishonesty might result in a temporary relief or happiness, but it ends with separation and judgment. And we got to be relentlessly honest with ourselves and others about our sins and temptations so we are not deceived by them. So one of my mentors mentioned to me, Winky Prattney, he says, Sean, pay attention when people have a dramatic theological shift in what it is that they believe, because sometimes it is making a way for a lifestyle choice or a sin that they're embracing. And I'll never forget that. And I've seen that thing play out on different occasions. Anyone that listens to uh, Keep It 100 podcast and you've listened to me, you know, I don't mention names because I I, I always want to give people opportunity to return. But when I was a young believer, there was a, a very charismatic uh, African-American preacher that was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was a graduate of ORU. And all of a sudden, I remember he came out with this teaching on the doctrine of inclusion. Everybody's going to heaven regardless. So you could live whatever kind of life. And uh, by the last posting that I saw, this this particular gentleman is, is at a progressive church where they are saying, biblically, it's okay that you could openly practice a homosexual lifestyle, uh, practice immorality, and practice other things. But it's interesting that he changed his theology to accommodate a lifestyle. And this is what I'm talking about. Many people go into deconstruction not with the purest of motives. And I'm just saying, hey, be honest about where you're at, because this guy literally had such an anointing on him and could be used of God so mightily. And now you hardly hear of this particular guy. And I think part of it is he left in his deconstruction. He left the anointing, left the presence of God. And that's not God's purpose or plan for you. That's so good, baby. That's so good. All right. Fifth and final, keep it one there. Takeaway this week is the question, is your deconstruction driven by hurt or is it driven by disappointment? We all know that hurt or disappointment is actually what fuels a lot of people's deconstruction process. And it can be hurt, suffered personally at the hands of church leaders. It can be disappointment with the failings of congregations or leaders or people that you really respect. And it can be a sense of betrayal when we disagree with others on a social or political issue that's really important to us. And it's important that we address our hurts and our disappointments as constructively as possible. You know, you got to get healthy about your healing process before we turn to deconstruction as an answer. Because why? That compounds the hurt. But sometimes people give the impression that they never sought to even address offenses or even misunderstandings. They just simply left the hurtful relationship. They decided to leave some aspect of their faith and practice. They leave the church. They leave the faith community. And then they're isolated out on their own trying to heal themselves. And it doesn't work that way. Healing comes through community. Healing happens in relationship. Healing happens through your relationship with 
with Jesus. And although leaving might be some people's first step, remember if it's an unhealthy, if it's a manipulating, if it's a dysfunctional faith community, leaving can be the first step in healing. But we must be honest about the difference between when leaving is healing and when we're leaving to avoid the hard work of reconciliation. So of course, I can't answer that for people, right? I don't know people's motives. I can't speak to people's specific situations because I don't know all the layers. But I do think that's a really important process and a question for us to evaluate in our lives and being like, if I've disconnected, have I done it healthy? Have I done it right? Have I done it in honor? Am I still connected to the Lord? Am I still connected to a faith community? Am I still connected to the word of God? Am I still connected to his presence? Because we have to really understand this deconstruction process can can either reconstruct a beautiful faith in Jesus and have you more firm than you've ever been, or can leave you decimated by yourself in the middle of a desert. You know, keep it 100, gang, just to summarize this episode and our thoughts, as I was thinking about when Thomas doubted Jesus' resurrection, and obviously Thomas had walked with Jesus for those three plus years as Jesus was doing his earthly ministry. He was exposed to the miracles. He heard the teaching. He was around the person of Jesus. And when Thomas doubted at the point of the resurrection, Jesus took the gracious step of providing more attention, more time, and evidence than anyone reasonably needed. You can see this in John 20, 24 through 28. And I think that maybe as believers, we need to sympathize with those who are struggling under doubts and be ready to go the extra mile when we can and when they're ready to go. On the other hand, Jesus didn't applaud Thomas for being skeptical. He didn't kind of begin a whole movement around it either. He just graciously dealt with the skepticism. And the Bible tells us to bear uh, with our brothers and sisters in their weakness. And so we've got to have that kind of attitude. Along with that, deconstructive thinking always turns on itself, using further distinctions to show any given distinction is misleading. In other words, it never gives stable ground to stand on. So while being respectful of doubters, the church needs to hold its ground on principles that are truly clear or fundamental to faith while loving people through the process of deconstruction to reconstruction. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, you do not want to miss our next episode as we're going to continually talk about this concept of deconstruction. We laid a foundation this week, but you're going to want to hear some of the points and their special guests, and we're going to have talking about it. And so remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it